nice and most wonderful time of the year. You know, except all those aches and pains that creep up as the weather gets cooler, or God forbid you pull a Clark Griswold while putting up the lights. But what if there's a way to be able to enjoy the cold weather of the holiday season without the associated bodily aches and pains? Well, imagine no further as Evil's CBD Topical Freeze Gel is here to the rescue. Whether it's to help that nagging shoulder injury from sports ball game of yesteryear, or it's to help alleviate those deep aches and pains, CBD Topical Freeze Gel from Ebels offers the industry best quality and strength to offer lasting relief from chronic pain. And this holiday season, all members of the Brian Nichols Show audience can get that perfect gift to self or stocking stuffer for that fitness fanatic in the family at an exclusive discount at checkout using code TBNS. Again, use code TBNS at checkout to get your discount applied to your order. Listen, the holidays are especially tough this year, so let's at least not spend them in pain. So use code TBNS at checkout to see the evil's difference today. Faced with an uncertain future, many business owners and technology professionals don't have the time needed to invest in their business technology strategies. And as a result, they're afraid of their technology getting outdated and putting their company and customers' information at risk. The digital future is already here, but with all different choices in the marketplace, it's difficult to know which one will be the best fit for you and your strategic vision. Imagine having the peace of mind that your business is backed by the right technology investments that are tailored for your specific need. Hi, I'm Brian Nichols, and I've helped countless business owners and technology professionals just like you, helping you make informed decisions about what technologies are best to invest in for your business. Voice, bandwidth, cybersecurity, business continuity, juggling all the aspects of business technology is messy. Let me help. Head to briannicholshow.com forward slash help and sign up for a free one-on-one -on -one consultation with yours truly to dig deep into where you see your company heading and how we can align your business technology towards those goals. Again, that's briannicholshow.com forward slash help to get your simplified business technology started today. Victor Antonio, welcome to the program. Selling is all about really, it's, we're not selling a product, you're not selling a service, you're not selling value, you're not selling whatever you think you're selling, a solution. You're selling change. Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. As a sales and marketing executive in the greater telecommunications cybersecurity industry, Brian works with C-level executives to help them future-proof their company's infrastructure for an uncertain future. And in each episode, Brian takes that experience and applies it to the Liberty Movement. And this is why we talk about being the trusted advisor. You should be able to help use that expert guidance and all the opinions that I'm sure that you have and help lead them towards not just a decision, but the right decision. Instead of focusing on simply winning arguments or being right, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and their application in the world of politics, showing you how to ask better questions, tell better stories, and ultimately change people's minds. And now, your host, Brian Nichols. Congressman Thomas Massey here on The Brian Nichols Show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Brian. Absolutely. Congressman, you've been very busy today because today over in uh, in D.C., which is otherwise known as the swamp up here in, uh, in the Northeast, uh, you guys ended up voting on the continuing resolution, which we'll dig into a little bit more because it was absolutely insane. But thankfully, we got somebody like you there fighting the good fight. So um, for anybody who is living under a rock, could you maybe do a little quick introduction, Congressman? Um, like, really, who are you and, and what was your liberty uh, story to get you to where you are today? Ooh, okay, I'll try and give you the quick version. I grew up in Kentucky. Um, I was an inventor as a kid. I built robot arms for science fairs. Uh, I was kind of geeky, and uh, I wanted to go to MIT, so I ended up going to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. I got a degree in electrical engineering, degree in mechanical engineering, started a company while I was there, 
raised venture capital, did that for 10 years, um, sold my ownership in the company, moved back to Kentucky, and uh, really hadn't been paying much attention to politics, but I started reading the local paper, and I noticed that the local politicians were trying to raise our taxes, zone our property, uh, force people who didn't need a, a sewer system because they had septic tanks that worked fine, force them to sign up for something they didn't need using eminent domain, like lots of sort of ugly things to libertarians or to just the, the people who love freedom. <laughs> yeah, so I started writing letters to the editor, okay? Uh, oh, by the way, I was building a house off the grid at the time. This was like 2003 to 2010, um, and I, I wrote some letters to the editor in 2007, I think. This was before there was something called the Tea Party, and what surprised me is my neighbors cared about the same things that I cared about. And so I rallied folks to go to like the local town hall meetings and stare down the politicians. And we stopped some, some taxes from passing. We stopped the planning board from becoming a zoning board. They were going to zone everybody's property and tell you what you could and couldn't do with it. Um, really it was, it was tough, a tough slog at the local level. But in any case, um, I realized that the person who appointed all these people to the boards that we were fighting against and trying to keep them from raising our taxes was the county executive. And people encouraged me to run for that position. I did. I got in there. Um, I went after waste, fraud, and abuse. I found mostly a lot of waste. And this was in county government and um, eliminated that, eliminated enough to pay my salary three times over in county government. <laughs> and um, then, you know, there's 3,000, let's see, is that right? Yeah, 3,000 counties in the United States. So I just had a small sliver of government there, but I thought, gee, if there's this much waste, fraud, and abuse in one of 3,000 counties, there's got to be so much more at the federal level and our congressman decided he wasn't going to run again. I entered a seven-way primary. It was a knockdown, drag-out uh, primary, but I got the endorsement of Ron Paul, Rand Paul, Mike Lee, Justin Amash, and fought my way through that with a lot of help and support from people that love liberty. Ended up here in Congress in 2012, and ever since then I've been popping the fuses here and blowing the circuit breakers. Um, <laughs> I say it I say it that way because, uh, unfortunately, a lot of times the established way of things prevails, but you've got to make it hard for them to do what they're trying to do. Otherwise, they'll do more of it. Oh, for sure. And so I actually had uh, your your um, your colleague, Congressman Amash, on my show back this past uh, past summer. And actually, it was right before uh, he decided to, quote unquote, declare his independence. So being a liberty Republican in an era of Trump is is obviously very difficult. And that's part of the reason that Congressman Amash has decided to you know disassociate with the GOP. What's life like for you as you know one of those few left liberty Republicans in Congress? Actually, I think it's easier to be a Liberty Republican under Trump than it was under Obama uh, in many ways. Some days you measure progress in Washington, D.C. by the depth of the crater that you can create. <laughs> and by that measure, Trump's been wildly successful <laughs> at the, uh, you know, in, in taking on the deep state. 
a, a lot of these people that, uh, you know, government officials that people thought walked on water, we've, we found out that they're self-interested um, folks who have their own agendas and really don't like the notion of elected government. I'm talking about folks like James Comey. Um, and there's a whole list and those folks are out of government now. They were they weren't noble people. Peter Strzok, not a noble person. Um, and so, you know, in some measure, we've we've made a lot of progress um, in the executive branch. Now, it's really not my job to support or oppose a president. Okay, people, pro-Trump folks and anti-Trump folks are always telling me, support the president, oppose the president, resist, comply, you know. I'm like, I'm a legislator. My job is to look at policy, not uh, who's in the White House. Right. And if it's good policy, I support it. If it's bad policy, I don't. Now, that's become tougher because the Democrats have started an impeachment process here. So as so whereas it was never my job to support or oppose a president, now, now being forced to. the Democrats are now the Democrats are forcing people to to do that. Right. And so um, that's that's one of the tough things. I think it's a great distraction. Just as an example, Brian, uh, today there, in fact, right now there's an impeachment interview going on in the Intel Committee, yet. They just extended the Patriot Act inside of the continuing resolution today here in Congress. It's wild. While everybody was paying attention to the impeachment. So this is a frustrating thing for me. There were issues like the Patriot Act, like the you know, 702 FISA um, court and um, warrants that were going on, that we were making progress on, that – that really aren't because everybody's distracted. Now, mm-hmm. the positive thing, the positive thing to all these weapons of mass distraction, that's what I call the impeachment or <laughs> the Mueller report, weapons of mass distraction, is that I haven't heard a single Democrat in the House of Representatives talk about a red flag law in the last four to six weeks. Like they've totally lost their minds and they can't focus on all the anti-liberty stuff they were going to do. And so we've we've got a little reprieve here from those things. So my show obviously is reaching a lot more, I'd say, you know, the, the small L or even in many cases, big L libertarians. Right. And I think there's been a, a pretty big split in the, the larger libertarian circles because. A lot of libertarian folks look at Trump as, you know, kind of this guy with a hammer just going through the China shop and just smashing everything in, in his way, whereas others are, are looking at him as, you know, truly a, a threat to our, our liberty. And I think it's it's been a, a really hard, uh, I mean, to say it, it's hard to get libertarians to, to agree on anything is, is, you know, an understatement of the year, but to, to really look and say, you know, as somebody who's in the fray of things, being yourself, Congressman, what would you say to libertarians to, to, you know, kind of give them a little bit more insight that you're experiencing behind the scenes in terms of Trump's, uh, you know, either his his good feelings or his bad feelings towards the concept of liberty? Again, I don't I don't want to support or oppose the person in the White House. But if we're going to try to produce a scorecard, let's let's put in one of the columns number of wars started. OK, and this is the first president 
in a long time who hasn't started a war in um, since he's been in office. And I think those are his instincts. I mean, sometimes it is hard to divine because a lot of times he's messing with the liberals. But uh, <laughs> sometimes it is hard to divine what he means in his tweets. But at the end of the day, we aren't in another war. And, uh, you know, I oppose the president both of the times that we attacked Syria. Okay. But if you go back and look at what was the result of those attacks, fortunately, um, you know, in one case, they, they bombed a warehouse, an empty warehouse. In another case, they bombed an airfield, but called ahead and said, hey, we're going to bomb the airfield. Um, and, and then another time, another really defining moment was when the Iranians took down a drone, a U.S. drone that was supposedly not in their airspace, which I have no reason to doubt that, but that, um, that our story wasn't correct. But the president didn't reciprocate. He could have um, retaliated, and he chose not to. And the reason he gave is that they, they estimated there would be like two or 300 casualties, and he said it's not worth a drone to kill mm-hmm. two or 300 people. That's the first time I've ever really heard a president say that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm talking, you know, I'm not, I don't think that Obama or Bush would have had the restraint in the face of um, all of the advisors who were there. So let's take a little bit of a 180, and we obviously touched on it briefly discussing the impeachment, right? So that's kind of what everybody is talking about now. It's actually interesting because um, I'm from upstate New York, and Elise Stefanik was my home congresswoman. Um, So to see my home district kind of thrust into the news cycle all of a sudden with her opponent, Tedrick Cobb, you know, raising almost a million dollars after the initial beginning of the impeachment inquiries, it was like, huh, this this is kind of interesting to see this all taking place up in New York 21. So I guess, you know, obviously, Congressman, you, if it does go to the house for a vote you're going to have to you know cast your your vote one way or another and you know I, your your colleague congressman amash seems like he's on the opposite side of the aisle in terms of supporting impeachment maybe kind of give some insight what what are some of us you know layman's missing um that you've kind of been able to, to witness in terms of how you're approaching this impeachment uh, proceeding <laughs> well first of all the deep state is real and if you're if the People listening to this podcast have a problem with me saying with that. I apologize. You're probably not going to get what I'm about to say next, <laughs> which is um, there's a permanent government that uh, and and inside the skiff. By the way, I'm on the oversight committee, so I was down there for the witness tryouts. We call them where Adam Schiff brought in people he thought would support his case, and the ones he the ones that did well. He's, he's pulling them out in the public, and the ones who didn't, he's kind of put them over on the sidelines. But as I sat there in the skiff listening to people who were less on their guard than they are now out in the public, I realized that these folks who are in the government who aren't elected, they got appointed somewhere way back or just moved their way up through the bureaucracy. They consider themselves to be very patriotic. They're very... Uh, uh, they're dedicated to the mission, but they are also bound and determined not to let not to let elected officials <laughs> knock them off their mission. <laughs> like they believe they set foreign policy, and the currency with which they control other countries is foreign aid, is foreign military assistance, and they're more than anything. 
those people are upset that President Trump dared to slow down or interrupt um, what they were doing and the money that they were distributing. And, uh, you know, I believe that countries are sovereign. We shouldn't be over there trying to influence their elections. Obviously, that's what we're doing. Um, and we're trying to influence all of their policies and trying to get their governments to do things. And, and the currency that the, the State Department and the other actors use is your tax dollars. Right. So I don't know. That's, a, that's one of the things that I've seen from sitting through these depositions and being just a few feet away from the people who are testifying. Now, you mentioned an important part there. They use your tax dollars, right? Um, and, and obviously, I'm speaking to you today on the 19th where they just literally passed the continuing resolution that actually snuck in a continuation of the Patriot Act. So let's, you know, a lot of people, I think, are ignorant of just the political process. So c- could you kind of just outline how did this happen? How, how did we get to a point where we're, we're yeah. passing continuing resolution after continuing resolution, and yet we're, we're still able to have these establishment politicians sneak in, you know, things like the Patriot Act in a renewal process completely, you know, through the, yeah. the, 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 the dark of night, and yet it's going to impact millions and millions of Americans, and it's all done behind the scenes. How does that all happen? Well, I've been here almost seven years now, and I've seen this play call about four of the seven years that I've been here, what they're doing right now. Like they're not very original. They just do the same thing over and over. And my colleagues act like they get fooled all the time over and over or something. But one, here's the play call they're running this year. They, they're um, kicking the can down the road just a few weeks at a time until they get the can just a few days before Christmas. And I have been in closed meetings with the GOP conference when John Boehner walks in it's the, it's the day before we go on Christmas vacation. He, the CR has been punted several times and he walks in and he says, we've got an omnibus and we're going to vote on it here in about an hour. And if this thing passes, if you all vote for it, you can go home for Christmas and be with your family. But if it doesn't pass, you're going to be here with Nancy Pelosi and, um, you know, Chuck Schumer or Harry Reid. I can't remember who it was at the time. What a Christmas person that would be. And that's who you're going to, yeah. And that's who you're going to spend your Christmas with. (laughs) And the room erupts in a chant where people start saying, vote, 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 vote. And they literally, it's like a locker room and they leave the conference room chanting vote and go up there and vote for whatever's in front of them because they want to go home and be with their families. That's the play call they're running this year. The CR that they just passed today goes until until December 20th. Okay. Now, we're supposed to go on on holiday break like a week before that. (laughs) They're going to have some real leverage if we get to December 20th and people are missing their family Christmas parties and stuff. So that's one thing they're doing. It's messed up. And I don't care whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, an independent, or a libertarian. You should know that that's messed up. Here's the other thing that they did today. A a funding bill, they put them all together. There should be 12 separate appropriations bills. But they've they've come to favor this strategy where they put it all together. So if it doesn't pass, you can't – it's just – it would be unforgivable for you not to vote to fund the whole government, right? (laughs) So there's – right? There's tremendous pressure. Because you're not incrementally voting for this or that, you're, it, you're voting for all of government in one vote, 
they've realized they can attach some nasty stuff to that. Um, a year or two ago, what they attached was called fixed NICs. It was an expansion of the broken background check system without fixing the, you know, you know, for gun purchases, federal background check system. Now they, they threw that into an omnibus or a CR. Well, this today, they threw in a, a, an extension of the Patriot Act into the omnibus. So again, whether you're Republican, Democrat, big L libertarian, small L libertarian, you should understand this is a horrible way to do legislation. But they're using what they're doing is they're giving all the Democrats who, when Republicans were in the majority, the Democrats opposed for the most of them opposed the Patriot Act. But now today they gave them all cover. They they stuck the Patriot Act in the continuing resolution, so the Democrats. Uh, we could go home and say, well, I had to vote for it. Now, here's another thing they do, Brian, another messed up process. And I know we're not talking about ideology here, which may upset some of the libertarians <laughs> that listen to your show. But if they've got blood coursing through their veins, if they can fog a mirror, this should upset them, regardless of what their ideology is. When, when Pelosi was speaker before I got here, she famously said, you got to vote for this Obamacare to see what's in it. Okay, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but not as badly as Adam Schiff reading a transcript of the president. She said, you know, vote for it to see what's in it. Well, when Republicans took over, thanks to the Tea Party in 2010, they, they demanded, we don't ever want to be in that position again. Give us three days to read a bill. So the Republicans had adopted a House rule that says everybody will have three days to read the bill. Well... Nobody defined what a day is. Now, you and I think a day has 24 hours, but what they decided was that um, if you introduce the bill at 11.50 p.m. on a Tuesday, then Tuesday counts as one day even because the bill touched it by 10 minutes. And then you would uh, have Wednesday to look at the bill. But guess what? The, the, the reporters can't get that printed in your hometown newspaper before Thursday morning, which is when you're going to vote on it. Right. And, of course, Thursday morning counts as a whole 24-hour day. So they totally bastardized this three-day rule. It became like a 30-hour rule, and that was frustrating to us and to some Democrats. So Nancy Pelosi takes the gavel again. They get the majority back. Some of the more um, prominent reformers and who newcomers to the party, the Democratic Party, said, you know what, we're better than Republicans, let's make it a 72-hour rule. So now we have an honest-to-goodness 72-hour rule. You, 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 the speaker has to give you 72 hours to read a bill and your constituents to consider the bill before you vote on it. Well, guess what? This bill came out less than 24 hours before we had to vote on it today. How did they get away with that? Because the speaker comes to the floor, the, the rules committee writes an amendment to the rule just for one bill and says, we're going to suspend all points of order. Now, one of those points of order would be, hey, uh, I object. You didn't give us 72 hours to read this bill. You can't even make that objection because there's a, they amended the rules today. Now, how do they amend the rules without a majority voting for it? Well, a majority did vote for it. It turns out that even though you got all these great rules to protect the rank-and-file members, when the speaker tells rank-and-file members of his or her own party, vote to suspend this rule that protects yourself, they dutifully do it. Every single Democrat, 230, voted. 
voted to suspend the 72-hour rule today so that Pelosi could shove this down the American public's throats. And that's what happened. <sighs> just, like the, just, just like the, yeah, the founders wanted, right? Yeah, this, <laughs> I'm sure this is what the founders imagined. Not. <laughs> well, how about this? Because I know we're getting close to uh, wrapping up here with your, your time schedule. Mm-hmm. So I think it sounds like a lot of these, um, you know, these more establishment folks, they've gotten corrupted by the precious. And I, I think it's a good way to end the show is, <clears throat> Congressman Massey, give us the story. What is the precious that you've, you've spoken about uh, many a time? So I noticed there's this thing. So the analogy here is to Lord of the Rings and the Hobbits. Um, you know, for those who don't know about the, the series of books and movies or living in a cave with Gollum, I guess, um, the ring is something that if a man put it on, it would corrupt him almost instantly. And if a hobbit put it on, it took a while to corrupt him. But eventually everybody fell power to this ring or fell, fell prey to this ring because of the power it gave them. I noticed that this congressional pin that every congressman wears up here, it they feel intoxicated by the power it conveys on them when they wear the pin. When you're walking down the hallway, people won't make eye contact with you because they know you're a congressman, even if they don't recognize you. When you get in an elevator, nobody speaks. Um, when, you, when you're approaching a police officer, a Capitol Hill police officer moves aside and lets you through. You walk around the metal detector. You don't walk through the metal detector. Oh, unless you're not wearing precious and the cop doesn't recognize you, then you better have precious in your pocket. Pull precious out, which is your pin, not the ring, not a ring, <laughs> and show it to them, and then all is good. And so what I've noticed is when I wear the pin, it, it starts to get to you. you. You notice it. And so I try not to wear it more than I have to. Uh, every time I come to Mordor, though, I have to put the precious on, um, you know, to get through security. And there, there are even times like when I wake up on Monday morning to come to D.C. and I have to get in a car and go to the airport, I try not to turn the lights on in the bedroom to, to wake, you know, I don't want to wake up my wife if I don't have to, if she doesn't have to get up. And so I find myself fumbling around looking for precious in the dark like Gollum, and I ask my wife, have you seen Precious? And she's like, I think it's on the nightstand over there. Anyways, that's the that's the whole Precious thing. And it um, and if somebody hasn't seen Lord of the Rings or read The Hobbit, boy, they're going to think I'm just absolutely crazy when I talk about that. But <laughs> Well, well uh, no, not at all, Congressman. I mean, it, honestly, that that's a great analogy because it, it speaks to, honestly, what the power does to people when they get to Washington. They can come in with the best of intentions and then, you know, just a, a few short months later, they, they seem like completely different people. And thankfully, we got folks like you in office who uh, you, you've kept the precious off and, and you've been able to just still maintain to be yourself to be one of the most principled good guys out there. So we need more more folks like you and, and, and you know, folks like Congressman Amash and, and Mike Lee and Rand Paul in office. And again, thank you so much for all you're doing. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, we're, we're behind you guys 100% of the way for all that you've been doing behind the scenes to, uh, to help promote the message of liberty. So thank you so much for that. Hey, thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me on your podcast. I look forward to coming back on sometime. Um, thanks for getting the message out there and using this format. Uh, really appreciate it. And uh, please stop by and see me in D.C. sometime. Absolutely, sir. Well, listen, I appreciate the time and we'll definitely have you on again in the near future. All righty. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe. Want to help us reach more people? Give the show a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe, too. 
Find us at briannicholsshow.com and download the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me on social media at bnicholsliberty and consider donating to the show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Laura Stanley, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network. Trust the experts. We're all in this together. If it saves one life, raise your hand if you've heard any of those tiresome phrases over the past year and a half. I know my hand is currently raised. Millions of people across dozens of industries were labeled unessential and forced to lock down with livelihoods and futures crushed in an instant. And as government has continued to expand its power and leverage fear to turn neighbor against neighbor, a group of filmmakers have taken a stand and are determined to help set the record straight on the importance of following the actual science of the pandemic. Follow the Science on Lockdowns and Liberty from the Sound Mind Creative Group is a brand new docu-series highlighting the stories of those negatively impacted over the past year and a half by ineffective government policies enacted in the name of following the science. With noted experts like Nick Hudson from Panda, the Pandemic Data and Analytics Organization, healthcare policy advisors like Scott Atlas, and telling the stories of business owners, families, and just your average everyday person harmed by these government mandates. Follow the Science on Lockdowns and Liberty is giving us a chance to make sure the true stories of the pandemic are told. So please help us at The Brian Nichols Show in supporting the Sound Mind Creative Group. With noted figures in the Liberty Movement like Dr. Tom Woods donating thousands of their own dollars to this project, you know just how important this project is. So head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash follow the science to donate and catch their brand new trailer to the docuseries one more time. That's briannicholsshow.com forward slash follow the science.